Hi, everyone. Before we begin, please be advised that this podcast does contain adult themes, and it is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. There's this intersection in the heart of downtown D.C. that I've been to so many times. It's close to high-end hotels and my favorite restaurant called Busboys and Poets, where I'm always at brunch. I've walked up and down these streets for years. But today, I'm seeing these streets through completely new eyes. Through the eyes of Leia Monadas. I'd come here occasionally, and during that time, a lot of these buildings were not here. A lot of this has built up in the last, like, 10 years. And it's been super gentrified. Yeah. Um, but at the time, it was a little more rundown, a little more quiet, and the, a lot of the girls would come here and, and do, do work. It's this newly gentrified part of town, and so. to be honest, most people would never think this was a hot spot for sex work. Hey, As Leah and I walk down the sidewalk, yeah. I look at all of the new high-rise buildings yeah. under construction. People wander in and out of dozens of new restaurants that keep popping up in the past few years. I start to look at this block differently than I ever have before. If you want to see a picture of us on the street together, text Leia to the number 202-804-2480. That's L-A-Y-A to the number 202-804-2480. Leia has always been an artist. She wears her dark brown hair just below her shoulders with bangs and black-rimmed glasses. Right now, she has on a short dress and flats, and she's wearing a black leather backpack. She has a great job. She's the membership outreach coordinator with the Human Rights Campaign. That's a group that fights for the rights of the LGBT community. But years ago, things weren't so stable for her. The sun is just beginning to set as Leia brings me back to a time when this street looked very, very different. And I, at the time, I was a school teacher. I was teaching art at a middle school. Couldn't have been happier. Absolutely loved it. But the assistant principal noticed I was transitioning. I was growing my hair out. It was hard to hide my breasts under like my uh, men's dress shirt. So I think he was trying to get rid of me. And eventually, I just got tired of it, and I left. I figured I'd find something else, some other job. Then it really set in that like, well, you're a trans woman now and you're also brown. It's gonna be hard to find a job. Yeah. <laughs> and it was. So I really struggled. Um, and then that was when I eventually found myself periods of homelessness. And eventually I was struggling to find work still. So then I resorted to some of this, coming out and doing sex work on the street. Were there experiences that you had while you were doing this for your own survival that you felt like your life was at enormous risk? Yeah, so there were a few times where I was almost murdered. Um, you say that so casually. That's like such a, when you, how do you? When you've been through this, you were strong as a rock. Like yeah. I, I have no fear anymore because I've been so close to death several times. Sometimes I think maybe I should have been a soldier. <laughs> <laughs> I was almost robbed once. Um, I needed the money, so I fought back for the purse a little bit. And then the guy started beating me up. He had me in a chokehold. I struggled. Eventually, he punched me in the face. 
I was on the ground. He kicked me on the ground. He ripped my earring out. And finally I got up and I struggled and I was able to get away. That was one time. Another time I was in a car. This guy was speeding off. He didn't want to give me a donation. He ended up pulling a knife on me. And um, I actually, before I jumped out, he stabbed me twice. And then finally I was able to open the door and I was able to get out. But I moved out of like probably 40 mile per hour plus car. And I just rolled around. And I honestly, when I got up after rolling around, I was surprised I was still alive. <laughs> and I was like, okay, adrenaline rushing. I'd just been stabbed. So then I just, I ran and I took off, right? And uh, amazingly, I thought he was done, but he turned the car around and then tried to chase me to run me over. <laughs> so it was just, and then the worst part is I couldn't even report this to police. Like, what am I gonna say? Like I was doing sex work and some man then tried to kill me. Like that's the absurdity. This insane madman is still out there because I couldn't even report this because I might risk getting arrested. Did you feel like you couldn't report it to the police? Absolutely. Because what am I going to tell the, why am I going to, what's my excuse for being in the strange man's car, right? Or what's my excuse for being in this man's apartment or house? Or if, or if I get a hotel room, why is this man here? I'm here talking to Leia because she's part of a movement in D.C. that's pushing for a new approach for sex workers. And that movement has one big message. The fact that sex work is a crime right now isn't helping anyone. So what they want is to remove all criminal penalties for sex work in the district. Yeah, if it had been decriminalized, I wouldn't have been arrested the first time, which would have helped me get a lot of jobs. Um, particularly when I had a degree, there were a lot of teaching jobs that the door is shut on that I can't re-enter. So you can't teach? There's certain jobs I can't teach in because of a solicitation charge that will block you out of a lot of doors. Um, so there's that. And then also just, just jobs in general, you know? I mean, like, because here's the cycle. It's like, if you arrest a sex worker, she's gonna have a charge on her record. So then when she goes to apply for another job, it's harder to get that job. Well, she's just gonna come back out here to get money because she needs to survive. Like, it's this ridiculous cycle. I know that you may have repeated that story several times. So like to you, like you've kind of accepted it and you were laughing at it, but I was like holding back tears because I just, I can't like imagine being in that situation. I'm so sorry that ever happened to you. Yeah, I mean, I, I laugh about it because I have to create this barrier. Of course, yeah. But like, the truth is, it was completely terrifying. Like, I don't wish that upon any human being ever, but you know, it happens and it, and it happens. You know, any one of these girls, if I can do anything to help a young trans person or other sex worker, cis woman, to not have that happen to them, I will do it. I don't care what the cost is, because I don't want that to ever happen to another human being again. I'm, I'm not a piece of trash. I'm a human being, and I don't deserve to be treated that way. I'm breaking down a little. <laughs> People, people don't deserve that. No one does. During my travels across the country, I've seen several different legal models for approaching sex work. In Seattle, they're arresting the buyers. In a few counties in Nevada, brothels are legal. 
but everywhere else in this country, sex work is still a crime. Leia is part of a fight going on right here in my own backyard. That fight is for a bill that would totally decriminalize all aspects of sex work. What would that actually look like? That's what I want to find out. I'm Nora Tagori. This is Sold in America. My biggest concern is I'm homeless and I want a fucking place to stay and I want to be able to eat. But nobody listens to us when we say that. These sex workers that are doing things illegally have all these excuses. It's bullshit. It, trust me, it's bullshit. Because sex work is criminalized, the rules are sort of made up and nobody's looking out for sex workers or people trading sex. Learning to see the act of buying sex in and of itself as an act of exploitation. It's not just wrong because it causes trafficking. It's just wrong. It's non-consensual sex. When you're out here and you're poor, you're cold, you're alone, your family probably doesn't want you, and the cops are trying to arrest you, and these people are trying to kill you, you feel unhuman. I think that actually down that area is we like kind of okay. relevant. Do a lot you, of the, like, the we can cross and go down. Leia is showing me the same street corners where she used to stand while she did sex work. Her story, it sounds like a lot of the other ones I've heard. She says she's had to endure some pretty horrific stuff. But Leia never had a pimp. She never had a trafficker. She wasn't forced by another person to do this. Instead, she says she was forced to do sex work because of her circumstances. And the worst part was it wasn't like I, I didn't do drugs. I didn't, like, drink. You know, I did everything I was supposed to do. I, I like, went to college. I was religious, I like respected my family, but no, it, it didn't matter. Once all these things started happening, just because I was trans, it was like it all crumbled. And I was kind of living as a woman privately, just among my, at home and my friends, but I was ready to just like tell my family and just live openly so I could finally just be happy. So I finally called my dad and I told him, he was very upset with me. He didn't want me to go home anymore, didn't want me to help me at all anymore. He didn't end up talking to me for like five years. So I wasn't allowed home for like Christmas, I wasn't allowed home for, like I didn't even get a call on my birthday, just nothing, just completely shut out. I think Christmas was the hardest, like Christmas and my birthday. Even my dad's birthday, honestly, I just missed, like, I like my dad, right? And I was really sad that he didn't want to be a part of my life, he was like one of my best friends. Leia felt like she had no other choice. She was shut out from her family, from her job. She truly felt like her only option was sex work. And that's the case for a lot of trans women, especially trans women of color. Now, a lot of people will call that survival sex, sex work done purely to survive. And while Leia clearly had to deal with some dangerous buyers, She doesn't necessarily think violent clients are the only thing that makes sex work dangerous. To her, it would have been a lot safer if she could have just reported those violent buyers to the police without fearing arrest herself. It's just ridiculous that it's on top of all these other things, you have to deal with police. (laughs) So 
when you're out here and you're, you know, you're, you're poor, you're cold, you're alone, your family probably doesn't want you, and the cops are trying to arrest you, and these people are trying to kill you, you feel unhuman. It's completely dehumanizing, you know? And, like, in the process, some people, like, there is some excitement to it sometimes, but, like, it's, you don't want to be out here. It's dangerous. It's, there's all these, I would, most of these girls would much rather be employed and, like, just work a nine-to-five, and, like, that's, would be much nicer for them. But that's not where society has led them. We failed them, and they failed me. That's why she's working to change the laws in D.C., by introducing a bill to the D.C. City Council. The idea is to decriminalize consensual sex work among adults. It basically means that it won't be illegal to buy or sell sex anymore. So let me just clarify something. This bill does not legalize sex work. Legalization is what we saw in Nevada. Legalization means the state has introduced legal requirements to regulate sex work in certain counties. And under legalization, people who want to do sex work have to register with the government. They have to get a license. They have to get regular health checks. Basically, any requirement the government thinks is necessary. So the difference here is decriminalization doesn't have any of those requirements. It just gets rid of criminal penalties for sex work. It basically takes law enforcement out of the process entirely. People call this movement decrim for short, and I just really want to know a lot more about it. So I came here to the city council building in D.C., where Leah is actually about to speak on a panel during a hearing. No idea where I'm going. Leah is sitting up front with three other activists getting ready to talk. The room is really small, but it's getting really packed in here. I kind of think people in D.C. might have as many questions about this bill as I do. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the, um, our briefing on the criminalization of commercial sex here in the District of Columbia. My name is Allison Gill, and I'll be the moderator for today. Today's statutes criminalizing sex work in the district date back to 1910 and 1935 meaning that the district has been using criminalization as the primary approach to address these issues for more than 100 years, and likely longer. As our speakers will tell you, we don't believe this approach has worked to the benefit of either sex workers or the broader community. My name is Leah Munares. I'm 34 years old, and I've lived in the District of Columbia for over 17 years. I want to make that clear that not all sex workers do sex work out of desperation, and some choose the profession. But I felt that, for me, I had no other choice. Leah starts telling some of the stories about her life, the ones that she told us earlier, and it's clear that people in the room are shocked. Um, we have a few minutes to take questions, and I'd love to facilitate some questions for the panel. So we'll start uh, in the back, please. Go ahead. I'll stand up. Um, this woman who's been sitting near me stands up. She's blonde, has on all white, and some flip-flops. She says she works in the office of one of the council members. I'm the constituent services director for Ward 5 um, for Councilmember McDuffie. Our ward uh, has a big problem with prostitution. Our office gets a lot of calls and emails from the residents because the prostitutes are on their street. They leave the hypodermic needles in the tree boxes where their kids get out of the car. They leave condoms in the alley. The kids see the prostitutes 
pulling up their clothing as they get out of the car. One of my questions I was going to ask for you is, what is your solution to these complaints that these constituents are calling us about? Because they have a right to their privacy in their home and wanting to make sure their children aren't seeing this activity. Uh, so a lot of the locations where uh, workers tend to go are just mostly based on like where police have pushed them. Oftentimes, they don't really choose these spots. They would much prefer to rather be in different places. Well, if it was decriminalized, that wouldn't even be like an issue. They could go to a completely different area where there would be less people, there would be less traffic. A lot of times, they're pushed out of certain areas because the police officers don't want them there because it's criminal, right? But if it's decriminalized, they could go to different places and they wouldn't have to be in those communities. Um, another thing to consider is that if things are decriminalized, there is probably a young sex worker who may go to that area now. If she is picked up and she is incarcerated, she will now be there for the next 15 years. So in thinking, well, let's why that, why that? Because she will have uh, a record and it will be incredibly difficult for her to find a job and she is suddenly locked in that cycle. Now, if she could find a way out, I found a way out, but that's not always the case. Many of them are just stuck in that cycle. So you're ensuring that they will be there for the next 15 years. The woman doesn't sit down. She launches right into the next question. You spoke about a lot of danger, right? Why would we decriminalize a profession that has such danger like that? Um, and why, why go back to it as opposed to go through social services sure. to get out of that, right? That's going to be a common question that people are going to ask. So when you're doing something that's illegal, it becomes difficult to report it, right? So if I, let's say I'm an attorney, and I go to someone's house, and we do a deal, we make a transaction, we do some work together, if that person randomly assaults me, I can then report it to the police because the transaction we're doing is not illegal. Well, no, I, I get that. I mean, the so if you're doing sex work, if it was decriminalized, you could yeah, report that. it. Um, so well, consequently, if you decriminalize uh, sex work, people will be less likely to commit acts of violence because they know they are more likely to be persecuted. And so that will reduce crime within sex work. If a man knows that he could potentially go to jail for assaulting me or pulling a knife on me, he's less likely to do it. But if he knows I'm not even probably going to report this, he knows he's more likely to get away with murder. The vibe in the room is tense. The woman still has this stone look on her face. She's not convinced. She's like so many of us. We can't see sex work like just any other work. It's something different, right? I mean, I admit it's something I've struggled with understanding. What is it about sex that makes us so uncomfortable? Why is it that we think of sex work as so different from any other work? More on that after the break. If your head is spinning a little bit from all of this talk about decriminalization and legalization and what means what, and there's just too many terms and too many concepts, 
trust me, you're not the only one. My head has been spinning, too. And to be honest, I'm still not really sure how decriminalization is going to help people who are being exploited. So I wanted to pass the mic. I invited somebody into our studio who really knows this issue inside out. Sasanka Jinadasa. I take they, them pronouns, um, and I am an advocate and educator in D.C., uh, working in uh, sex worker rights, drug user health, uh, gender justice, and criminal justice reform. Remember that woman who stood up and asked those questions in the city council hearing? Well, she did ask a question that's just kind of been stuck in my head. Why should we decriminalize something that can be so dangerous? So I wanted to get some answers. A lot of people think about the sex industry as, like, inherently coercive. Um, and I like to say to that that capitalism is inherently coercive. The fact that we have to, like, work for money to work for resources is inherently coercive. And that it is the stigma attached to working in a certain way, in a sexual way, that often um, has people experiencing violence. So the sex industry itself is not inherently violent. It's not inherently violent to use your body um, for labor. Um, nobody's arguing that other dangerous bodily professions like uh, coal mining or um, domestic labor should be illegal. People don't argue that cleaning houses should be illegal. Um, they argue to end the exploitative practice of trafficking people for labor. And I would argue the same thing with the sex industry rather than trying to um, keep people from trading sex, which people have been doing for centuries and centuries, uh, we should focus on eliminating exploitation in the sex industry. Right. But like, how does decriminalizing sex work help alleviate actual exploitation? Yeah. I mean, I think that because sex work is criminalized, the rules are sort of made up and nobody's looking out for sex workers or people trading sex. So people are being exploited all the time. There's yeah. no market rates. There's no minimum wage. There's all those things that apply to other forms of labor just don't apply in the sex trade because it's criminalized. A lot of people are being exploited by their employers right now. It's just that when the trade is criminalized, it's a lot easier to be a different kind of exploitative, a violent kind of exploitative, a um, like deeply, deeply um, inequitable form of exploitation is possible because of the criminalization rather than it's criminalized because it's so exploitative. In terms of practically, I think the rules that apply for other forms of sex should apply to sex work. Um, that's like practically, I just think for me, the exchange of money should just not affect the way that we think about sex. Whether or not people get money for it, I just don't think there should be laws applying to sex work in any way so they're not applying to sex in general. Sasanka and some of the people in D.C. are trying to change the narrative on how we think about sex work. They're saying, let's take the crime out of sex work and let people get on with making a living. But there's so much I'm still trying to work out when I think about this. This whole journey has provoked endless conversations between me and my producers, Eric and Kate. And all of our ideas have been challenged time and time again. And when I think about this podcast in particular, I just want to constantly make sure that I'm not stigmatizing sex work any more than it already is. I know what it's like to be misrepresented in media, and I don't want to do that to anybody who's involved in this community. The arguments for decrim are forcing me to think in totally new ways because I'm gaining totally new perspective. 
something about the harm and danger in sex work just seemed different to me. And that's the whole reason I started on this journey in the first place. Maybe sex work isn't so different. I know this can be a lot to digest. Trust me. And I want to hear how you're processing all of this. So I would love for you to record all of your thoughts in a voice memo on your phone and then text it to us at 202-804-2480. I really want to hear how you all are reacting to this debate. How do you view sex work? I could really see how this law could drastically change things for people doing sex work in D.C. I think about Leia when she was on the street because she felt like she had no other choice. And there are so many other people like her out there right now, whether in D.C. or in your own neighborhood. It's a packed room. Um, and people are pretty excited. You can tell that this is a really big deal. Okay, everybody, um, we're going to get started. Uh, good morning. Um, I'm at a news conference where activists are for the first time ever publicly introducing the decrim bill. Leia is here. She goes up to the front of the room and stands at a podium that's wrapped in a banner that says, Be nice to sex workers with a big pink smiley face. Our goal should be to stop violence, not criminalize those who are working to survive. Sex workers are active members of the D.C. community, too. And it's time we respect them with dignity, like we do the rest of the community. We're all human beings. Thank you. I can't even imagine how hard it was for Leia to transition from selling sex on the street to being here publicly advocating for new legislation that would have changed her entire life just a few years earlier. So are you, like, close at all with your family now? I, yeah, it took five years for my dad to finally talk to me, but this is actually rather beautiful. My, what brought our family together was I have two older sisters, mm -hmm. and they told my dad, look, we believe in family, and we know you believe in family. You can't believe in family and not invite our little sister anymore. We're not going to come to Christmas unless you invite Leia. And my dad was like, wow, that's powerful. And uh, so then he thought about it some more and he was like, you know what? You're right. If I'm going to be a family man, I need to invite all my children. And um, since then, it was slow, but we started building our relationship. And actually now he's one of a strong ally of mine. He's really supportive of me. Yeah? He loves me. I love him. We're family again feels really great. It's, yeah. ah, you have no idea like how fulfilling that finally feels. Five years ago, would you have been able to see this picture right now, where you are in life? It seemed near impossible. It didn't seem like my life was going there. I definitely thought I was either going to be in jail or dead somewhere. Um, I also had a lot of friends help me um, who came through in some of my darkest times. But uh, no, this is great. I would never have imagined that I, you know, I'm steadily employed. I have a great employer. I like have a lot of good friends. My family loves me. I, I'm surviving fine. So yeah, I definitely did not think I would be where I am, but I got there.
The bill still has to go to a vote in front of the city council, but it's going to be a really hard sell. Even the bill's sponsor told us he doesn't really have much hope for it. So for now, sex work is still a crime in D.C. Exploring this world has forced me to open my eyes. This conversation about decrim really has challenged me. But there's another group of politicians in D.C., the ones in Congress. And they just passed the biggest federal anti-sex trafficking bill in years. It's called FOSTA-SESTA. But who is it protecting? Why are you here today, Phoenix? Um, I am here because... I have a lot of experience in sex work. I'm here because I do activism in my local sex work community, and Sesta Fosta is getting my friends killed, and I'm not happy about it. So I'm here. Next time on Sold in America. Sold in America is reported and produced by me, Noor Tagori, with Eric Krupke, Kate Grumke, and Kevin Clancy. The show is edited by Suzanne Reber and Ellen Weiss. Our executive editor is Peter Clowney. Sound design and original theme music by David Herman. Special thanks to Mark Fahey, Karen Rodriguez, Aisha Bagshi, and Rick Kwan. Sold in America is a production of the Scripps Washington Bureau and Stitcher. Our senior producer is John Asante. Our executive producers are Jenny Radelit and Chris Bannon. I'm Noor Tagori. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Noor and Twitter at NTagori. And if you like this show, and I really hope you do, don't forget to rate it and review it on the Apple Podcast app. It really helps other people find the show. And of course, thank you so much for listening. You can think of household name episodes as lifelines when you're stuck in a boring conversation. Need to change the subject? Tell them the secrets behind Victoria's Secret. Or how a single lie turned KFC into a Japanese Christmas tradition. It was lie. No. (laughs) I still regret that. Did you know Panera opened cafes where customers could pay whatever they wanted? That before it was a hippie car, the VW Beetle was created by Nazis. Hitler built a city for the Beetle? <laughs> like the hippie Beetle? <laughs> you can talk about how LaCroix, Crocs, Carhartt, and Canada Goose all became surprisingly cool. And wow your friends with stories of TGI Friday's wild early days as one of the first singles bars. I'd be standing at the bar on Fridays and say, hi, darling, I own this place. I've seemed to work. I'm Dan Bobkoff, and I host Household Name from Business Insider and Stitcher. We make this show so you have something to talk about. Subscribe to Household Name for surprising stories about famous brands. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Household Name, brands you know, stories you don't.